Where are you in your leadership journey? Designed to inspire and empower other ambitious individuals, the Mindful Rebel podcast series is designed to bring attention to grassroots leaders in our community and focus on where they are currently in their leadership journey. The podcast will share the advice of doers and thinkers demonstrating success in life and in their respective areas of impact. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel podcast, the podcast about journeys and leadership. In this episode, we'll talk to Titus Burrell, writer, director, producer, um, as well as creator of the short film Black and Blue. Uh, welcome, Titus. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. So as we get started with the, with the discussion, um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about how you got started in your journey, um, particularly around filmmaking? Uh, I would say, like... Um... I've always wanted to be in entertainment. I've, I've been writing since, like, I want to say, like, seventh grade. I've been a writer, um, creating, like, audio films and, and things like that. That's where that's where I started with audio films. And um, But around 2000, and, I want to say around 2005, I went on my first audition. Um, this was right after I got out of the military. And, um, yeah, I went on my first acting audition, and I I thought really acting was my thing. I, I was told by a lot of people that, hey, you know, you should get into acting. You're good at it. You're good at it. You know, if you look at some of my old DVDs, I feel like I'm trash, but we're all our, <laughs> all our own worst critics. But, um, you know, I was acting for a while, and I thought that that was the direction I was going to go. And, um, uh, and what started to happen was people started asking me to write my own scenes. In, um, in their plays. And so after that, uh, my wife ended up saying to me, she was like, why are you writing in these people's plays instead of just writing your own plays, you know? And so that started to play with my head too, you know, um, and, you know, I started to think about writing my own stuff. Um, and But in 2012, I got the opportunity to be in my first web series and it was called Nothing Like a Virgin. And I played like this boss who was kind of like, a, uh, sexually harassing his uh, secretary. And that kind of got me looking at acting in a totally different way, like um, being able to create my own work. And then all of a sudden, I got the opportunity to go to Towson University through um, through the military. So when I got there, I thought I was going to be an actor. And um, some of my professors were like, hey, you know, you're really good at acting. But I actually ended up taking up the film major. So while I was taking acting one, uh, I was also taking film writing classes, and I was also taking um, uh, production classes, and I really liked those classes. And so I came to the you know conclusion that it was better for me to start c to create my own work and be in my own stuff versus uh, waiting for somebody to tell me I was good enough to be in their work. Hmm. Okay. Cool. So thinking about, you know, Focusing in and finding your passion and, and, and finding, you know, where you're meant to be. What made you take a leap of faith um, to jump back into school um, and maybe leave the professional world a little bit to kind of explore your passion uh, more? Yeah, so I don't know. I never. OK, so I didn't like school. I hooked school a lot when I was in high school. <laughs> I mean, like I hooked school so bad that. Like, I don't even know how I graduated. They, I mean, I didn't even, like, I didn't walk across the stage or anything. Like, I I had to go to summer school in order to graduate. But to be absolutely honest, I probably should have been failed. But, you know, it was it was God's grace that was over me, I guess, that uh, that kept me from um, having to fail. But that probably would have done me some good had they done that. But 
I hooked school a lot, and I didn't like school. So once I, you know, got my diploma in the mail, uh, you know, I decided to go to the military. And, um, you know, when I got out, I still wasn't necessarily ready for school. And so I started working at the post office and, you know, and you get to a point where good money just isn't enough. Like you're looking for your purpose. And that's kind of where I was. I worked for the post office for like four years. And um, I got to a point where I was getting tired of it. Yeah, I may have been bringing home like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars every two weeks. But that twelve hundred, twelve and thirteen hundred dollars every two weeks, it wasn't fulfilling. I was paying the bills. I was, I was paying the mortgage. You know, I was keeping a roof over me and my family's head. But it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't fulfilling. And um, ultimately, you know, you get to a point where you're like, uh, you're trying to figure out what you, what you're doing. After I quit my job, I didn't go straight to school. When I quit my job, I was still looking for more work. I was still you know, out there still trying to figure out what I was going to do. I, I, I went to John Casablanca out in, uh, out in Owens Mills, which was a, a, in a bogus acting school that's here in Baltimore. <laughs> and so I don't know how they get people to pay them money. It was like really bogus, but, um, I, um, but, um, I ended up, like I said, Towson ended up crossing my path. And after I got into that web series, and realized what it was I wanted to do. I realized, you know, I always talked about going to Towson, but you know, once the op- the opportunity really kind of just fell in my lap. I wasn't even looking for Towson. Um, uh, my wife, my wife had ended up talking to somebody at her job and finding out that I could go to school and get paid for it um, through the military. They had started like this new program called the Post 9/11 GI Bill, where people who went to war could go to school but also get. Uh, $22,000 a month every month while they're in school as long as they go to school full time. So that opportunity really fell in my lap. So, you know, it was it was, it was almost like every, you know, the stars aligned, God said yes, and that was it. You're going to school for exactly what it is you wanted to do. It was almost like really the whole time I was out of the military, I still, although I knew I could go to school, I really still didn't know what it was I wanted to do. And it wasn't until 2012 when I discovered what it was I really wanted to do, which was to go into film and create my own web series and and create work. It wasn't until I came to that conclusion that the school opportunity fall in my lap. So I have to say, once I got to that state where I knew who I was, that was when God started to open the doors for me. So everything started to kind of align and fall right into place, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So as you're, you know, creating and developing uh, the Greenwood Avenue project and um, creating work, like what are what are some, I guess, challenges you face in the process of, of doing this? Uh, figuring out how you're going to do it. Like there, there are people who say, hey, man, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and they start a YouTube channel and they don't know what to do. You know, they create, create a video and then you don't see them again for another year. And they, you know, they, they create a video like, you know, like, and, you know, uh, like three months apart. And then it's like, you know, they don't really know how to maintain that. They really don't know how to maintain a digital media presence. And so before I, um, before, um, when I started to, you know, go to school for what it was I was doing, I was learning how to create videos, you know, and this was, and I felt like this was my avenue. So what I started doing was, um, I was introduced to this um, this guy. His name was D. Fidarius on um, YouTube, 
and he would teach people how to start their YouTube channels. He's a um, you know young black guy. Um, I don't know where he's located, but I, I watched his channel, and he you know he basically said you know to create a, a successful YouTube channel, what you need to do is watch other people's YouTube channels, figure out you know that you like, find content that you like, and based on what you like, create content like that until it becomes your own. And so what I started doing was I, you know, I stumbled upon people like Issa Rae. This was like some years ago. This is like three, maybe three years ago when it, when Issa Rae had awkward black girl on YouTube mm -hmm. and, uh, um, black and sexy. This was when they had just started. So they had had like hello Cupid and all these things. They didn't have all the shows they have now. And, um, you know, and some other YouTube channels that I really liked. And, um, so, and Issa Rae had this, um, this, this young lady on her um, on her YouTube station that had a show called Let Leslie Tell It, and I really liked the show. And so, based on that show, I started. Um, I talked to another um, an actress, and I said, "Hey, I want to create a show like this, similar, but you know, I want you to talk about these things." And the person I talked to, she had already had a social like a social media presence, like she was already doing what it was uh, the girl on Let Leslie Tell It was doing. She was only doing it through texting on Facebook. And so I was like, well, why don't we put this to video? And then, and in a way, what started happening was I started to develop my own style as well as she did. And I started, you know, understanding how to get people to subscribe to your page and things like that. And then all of a sudden, Greenwood Avenue Projects came into play. I was like, hey, this is, this is going to be my company name. And I started Wait What Television and... You know, and it, it all started from there, just watching YouTube stations and, you know, you know, because this was my passion, watching other people's channels and developing my style from their style and creating my own style, you know, along the way. And ultimately, I, uh, you know, that's how, you know, my uh, my business started to uh, develop. And so you mentioned something too, kind of through the way, and I, I wanted to tap on that a little bit more. How has your your service in the military kind of contributed to, uh, or like what skills have you kind of pulled from that that has kind of contributed to, I guess, the development of your own businesses and your vision as a as a filmmaker? I would say the I would say never quitting. You know, even when you make mistakes, you still just don't quit. And so that's that's kind of like what's happened to me. I've made a lot of I've made a lot of mistakes in the last four years, I guess the last three years that I've gotten serious about content creating and digital media. And, um, and to be absolutely honest, those mistakes could have stopped me. And, uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't let it. So, um, being in the military, they, you know, there's, when I first went into, uh, when I first went into the army and I was going through basic training, one of the things that stuck with me was, Never make excuses. If somebody asks you why you did something, just say my dumb ass didn't know drill sergeant or just own up to the fact that you, you know, did this and just keep it moving. And so a lot of people don't have that, uh, don't necessarily have that, that personality trait, being able to mess up and keep going. And, um, you know, I think that the military really helps in that. In that, because it, to to be absolutely honest, once you go to the military, you sign a contract for four years. You 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 make a mistake in that four years. People people get in trouble for underage drinking. People get in trouble for, you know, all kind of being where they're not supposed to be at the time they're supposed to be somewhere else. People get in trouble all the time in the military, uh, for doing stupid stuff. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you still have a responsibility. You still have to serve your country. You still have, you know, uh, have to be accountable. You still have to have integrity. You still have to grow. And um, I think what happens, uh, what people, I think what most people don't understand is that uh, most people are chill when everything is good, but don't understand that it's it's really the crisis that helped you grow. The, the bad things that happen to you and how you get out of them and whether you get out of them or not, you know, it's, you know, those are the things that help you grow into a mature individual or into the person that you're supposed to be. It's not the, you know, it's not the, it's not the good things. It's not when you're getting promoted. It's not when people are calling you to be interviewed on a show. You know, it's not when, you know, you write a book and everybody's at your signing. It's when, Hey, you know, uh, you get caught with a DUI and, and you at the top of your game and all of a sudden your name is, you know, on a crap list all through the media. You know, it's like when Kim Burrell is, you know, her name is out there, you know, as one of the greatest, you know, gospel singers to ever do it. And now she's facing the scrutiny about, you know, her comments against homosexuality is what do you do in these situations? So that's kind of what the military has done for me is help me to learn how to cope with crisis. You know, and being yeah, that's that's it. That's the that's the way I'm gonna say it. It's learning how to cope with crisis. Perfect, perfect. So with that, I think it's a good transition into into talking about uh, black and blue. And I, I had the opportunity to check out the clip that you sent me, and I, it, it was great. I think it's considering what's going on now. I think it's it's right. um, an interesting dynamic to to um, put out, especially as a short film. So what? prompted you to create uh, black and blue uh just and if you could give the if you could give the the listeners a little bit of a insight in what black and blue actually is yeah well okay so black and blue is a uh film about marcus levine and it's uh it touches on law enforcement from the perspective of a black police officer um and it's based on the times we live in right now where you're seeing on social media you know, cops gunning down, you know, black males and black women and black children, you know, where, you know, I, um, and the majority of them are white cops. I mean, I'm, when I see black cops on social media and they're, uh, and they're doing stuff to, um, and they're doing stuff to the citizens, in most cases, they're not using guns. They're using their hands. They're being disrespectful, you know, in some ways they're being disrespectful, but they're, they're not killing people. And so, you know, I, I wondered what, um, I wondered what black police officers thought um, seeing these videos themselves. You know, I have friends that are in the police force now and um, and they're really good guys. And they're, you know, and they don't give me that. Um, they don't give me any reason to believe that they are willing to go out and just kill somebody just because they're standing outside of, of a store, you know. Um, and so what black and blue, how that was developed for me was, you know, watching social media and and realizing there was no content out there that addressed this issue. And me being upset, I mean, I'm gonna tell you, I sat in this, I sat in my apartment many days arguing about how, you know, police lack integrity. There's no way that how in the world as a, um, cause I, you know, I'm a military man. So, and I went to Iraq. And so you have to follow this thing called the Geneva Convention. And the Geneva Convention says that you can't shoot unless you're being shot at. And so when you hear police officers equate what they do every day as, uh, as you know, and 
what they do at compare what they do every day to what a military person has to do at war it doesn't compare because I can't go over to Iraq and just shoot somebody just because we're in Iraq and I know that we're at war. You can't do that. You know, you have to follow the, the laws of war and you can't shoot anybody unless you're shoot, being shot at. So if we're going to equate what the police do to what people in the military do, then my thing is you shouldn't be shooting anybody unless you're being shot at. I don't know what you're afraid of. You, how afraid can you be when you have a gun and the other person doesn't? That doesn't make sense to me. And so because of these ideas, because of what I had to do in the military, you know, um, I had to create a film like this because to me, um, and I've said it before, that uh, I think the issue with the distrust between the police force and the community is that, you know, you have police officers that lack integrity and they lack accountability and they don't have and they don't have the trust of the community because of these issues they lack those core values and the military they force these values in you there's no way that you're going to be in the military and not be faced with having to have integrity there's no way you can't do it you have to have your your you know your battle buddies lack of a better term but that's a term we use in the military you have to have your battle buddies back you know you have to have integrity you have to keep each other accountable if somebody's stealing you know, they will they will tell you, hey, look, uh, if you with somebody and they stole something and you didn't, you could say you didn't all day long. But your drill sergeant or your sergeant major, they would say, hey, basically, you your buddy because you allowed him to steal and you didn't hold him accountable. And that's not going on in the police force. Mm. Nobody's holding each other accountable. You're going to stand right next to me and watch me gun down somebody rather than take me down and keeping me from gunning down or choking somebody and not take me off of this man. The man says like, he can't breathe and you're not going to make sure that I don't choke him to death. You know, they're, they're not holding one another accountable. Good officer or not good officer, they're not holding one another accountable. And so these are the, uh, again, these are the ideas that Black and Blue was developed out of. And, uh, and making it a black police officer, you know, I, I felt like it was the best way to do it because it was the only way it was. I felt I felt like, especially when we screened it, I felt like it was the only way um, that people would accept it. Like it, it, it would be easy for, you know, the um, the media or the, you know, white people watching it to accept another white person, you know, checking uh, another white person. But you know, when you have that black officer and he's faced with the and you put him in the middle of the situation where you actually see him faced with having to make this choice, having to choose whether he's going to be accountable to his, you know, to his race or accountable to his, uh, his employment. You know, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's a, a really good, um, uh, I felt it was a really good dynamic to play with. I, and I agree with you. I feel like, you know, watching it, you know, looking at that, that, that love, and I think that's something we don't always think about is that identity struggle between, you know, of officers of color who have to worry about their race and worry about their profession. Um, right. I think it was interesting because I, I felt you did a good job at putting the viewer in the seat of, of, of Marcus. I felt right. uncomfortable for him. I felt like I was making a decision watching what he watched as well. And I think that's, that's something, I, I think that's, What's great about the film is that it's going to start causing that type of dialogue to really think right. about um, what that intersection of identities, how, how they are processing what's going on um, right. within in the past few years. 
But one thing I wanted to kind of kind of pull from it, and it was a line, and and I, I think it's great because you've actually been talking about this throughout the interview. So there was a right. line that Marcus said towards the end, and it was, a man with integrity can be respected uh, no matter what door he walks through. So what did you mean by including a line like this? And I guess how does that factor into how you think about or define leadership? Because uh, at, the, at the end of the day, you have to be able to live with yourself. And if you can't live with yourself, then, you know, uh, I think the only I think the only way you can live with yourself is if you know you're doing the right thing. You know, I've I've stolen things and and not been able to, you know, not be able to look at myself in the mirror. I've done things as an adult that I knew I shouldn't have done. I felt like I had to go apologize for. Or I felt like, you know, I couldn't live with myself at the end of that decision. And I and I wondered, like, what um, what officers who um, who are guilty of killing people who they knew they shouldn't have killed and got away with it, you know, I wondered how they could live with themselves. And at the end of the day, how could anybody who works beside this person live with themselves knowing that this person lacked integrity in there and wasn't doing their job honorably and still had to stand by this person who killed somebody or did something like you know, how could, how could you, you know, live with yourself as an individual and you walked into a store and your best friend robbed the store and killed the owner and you could go home and sleep at night? Like, you shouldn't be able to do that. And so my thing is, even you know, facing Marcus Levine in the film, facing the, uh, 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 being faced with having to go to jail, you know, at the end of the day, he was able to live with himself, you know, because of his ability to stay accountable to the oath that he took. And I feel like if a lot of officers stayed accountable to their oath, you know, stayed accountable to their oath, then there would be no issues between the police force and, um, and the community. Um, like I said, the military pushes in you to pushes in individuals to have integrity, to have accountability to be trusted, to be loyal, and, and all of these things. And when, you know, in the police force, you don't go in there, uh, you don't go in there taking that oath for one another. You go, you don't take that oath and say, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a uphold the rights of my fellow counterparts. They go in there and they take that oath, and that oath says, because um, I looked it up, that oath says that I will uh, protect uh, the, um, um, the people's constitutional rights without prejudice. And so when you see, you know, these officers gunning down individuals, especially black men, you know, let's not even, you know, let's not even sugarcoat it. Right. Especially black men, they, uh, you know, they do not, they they are very prejudiced when it comes to black men. I mean, you're a radio host and I've heard your show, so I know you've probably at some point in time talked about the prison system and talked about how police treat black men and, the unemployment rate for black men, you know, and so seeing these things, I, I, I really believe these things happen because there's a lack of integrity, not just on the police force, but up the chain, up the chain. And I feel like, you know, I feel like everything that happens on the ground with the police, that's coming from the top. It's not even just them. And I think it's a lack of integrity in our government all the way down. Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, when you think about it that way, it's almost a systemic lack of integrity right. um, all, all the way through. Yeah. So, so thing, you know, and, and, and thank you for sharing your, your point of view with, with the film. And I, 
I love the perspective again that you took with it. At the, what what are your I guess end goals or or where do you see Black and Blue going? Um, ideally, as a, as the creator of it, where do you see it going? I see it. Um... I'm definitely doing some screenings for it. Mm -hmm. um, I want it. I'm going to enter it into the um, African American Black Film Festival, um, but it's definitely a film that needs to be made because it's you know when you like when you said like when you watched it you know these you're not we're not seeing it from this perspective you know we're we're seeing it from you know we're seeing things happen to black men and we're not in a position to do anything we're seeing things happen to black women and we're not in a position to do anything but what does this officer do who's in position you know black or white you know what do they do when they're in that position and this film raises that question you know yeah it might not go to the to the length of what my film went but what if it did will we hold these officers who are you know, trying to be accountable. Will, will we hold them? Uh, will we jail them if they do, if they uh, uphold, uh, you know, uphold the oath? Will they go to jail, you know? And um, so with that being said, I feel like this film will create quite, you will create those questions and create those thoughts. Um, so I'll, I do want to make it into a feature film. Mm. Uh, I don't just want to, uh, I don't want to end it here at, at the 12 minute mark. Um, I think there's more that can be that can be done, um, especially with the beginning, just seeing how Marcus gets into the police force and, you know, seeing how he's, uh, you know, uh, I have ideas of showing how he's, you know, his acceptance on both sides, whether whether people accept him or don't, you know, how, you know, how he's looked at as an officer coming into the force and, um, you know, and fate and seeing him through the training process, kind of like training day watching him through the training process and and watch and you know and seeing his mindset uh um kind of like in in black and blue where he realizes hey i'm arresting people that look like me but what's his mindset when he originally starts you know where you know everything is cool this person is breaking the law you know i gotta arrest him i gotta do my job you know um black and blue the way it's made right now is kind of quick and to the point like you you know you see what issues face you see where he's changed you kind of like from the beginning see the end result and you know just kind of see how he got there but you know i want to i want to show like you know a full like maybe month of his life you know in a hour and a half film or something like that hmm. and, I, and i think there's so much to flesh out there even if you go into the idea of his training and his development of what what does he you know what type of biases does he does he is he confronted with in that process? And I think you know there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I'm sure that sure. officers or law enforcement folk, you know, especially those of color, actually run into that that makes them realize that they are at an intersection of identities even before they're actually out in the in the field or out in the community doing work. Yeah, because I could I'm gonna tell you I couldn't be, you know, I've I've been faced with the opportunity to be an officer, but I just can't bring myself to. I wouldn't be able to bring myself to arrest black people, whether no matter what they were doing, unless somebody like killed somebody. That's something that's kind of different. But like just being out there and harassing people and having to meet quotas of arrests, you know, because like I said, I have friends who are officers, so you know, I you know, I know firsthand now that you know information firsthand that hey, they have to meet quotas, they have to make a certain amount of arrests to get promoted, they have to, you know, and so like. Baltimore is kind of like a different animal because the majority of the police officers here in Baltimore City 
are black. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it weird. I wonder if it was kind of like set up for the Freddie Gray thing to happen here because it was like, wait a minute, man, the majority of the people that's being like when you that's being that's saying they're being harassed by police is black officers, but you'll never see when uh, when uh, you know white officers, you never see them like really on trial and being you know faced with the opportunity to go to jail. But as soon as that stuff with Freddie Gray happened here, you know they plastered this black officer's face all over the news almost every day, and and it's kind of like they hide the the white officers who you know, who've killed black men, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but I, I couldn't be a cop just for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to see what, what, what you would do with the feature length uh, aspect of black and blue. I think it would, it, it would definitely tap into some territories that, that I think are, are needed, you know, to kind of yeah. see and highlight. I got to get it down there to Atlanta. <laughs> get it. We'll get some screeners going, man. Yeah. So, so what we'll do now, we're going to uh, transition into our into the rapid fire questions. So they're just some quick personality questions, uh, you know, just kind of answer them as you um, see fit, um, whatever pops into your head for these questions. Okay. Um, and this is I think this is an interesting one to start with as a as a um, as a film director. Um, do you prefer reading books or watching movies? Uh, both. OK. I can't, yeah, I can't choose. I, I like both. Um, right now I'm reading, oh, it's a rapid fire question, right? You don't want me to No, you good. You good. You, yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big, like, I'm a big, I love Spike Lee movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watch, and I get a lot of inspiration from those. And, uh, the, and the books, is like the book I'm reading right now is called The Assignment, Dreams and Destinies. I think I wrote that in the questionnaire thing mm-hmm. that you sent me. And um, that that book has really helped me to um, uh, just 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 understand the um, like when I was talking about dealing with crisis, that book helped me to understand what dealing with crisis does and where your growth comes from. And, you know, and how and, you know, and understanding what kind of people in your life and learning how to be um emotionally aware and not being led by your emotions and situations, just being able to think in the process of a crisis or a situation that's going on that may, you know, force some negative emotions out of you or even happy emotions. Like somebody could come to me right now, like, Hey man, we would love to have your film down at Sundance right now. Okay. Well, what's the catch? Cause I can't just be like, Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And somebody walk away with my film. You know, you, you know, you have to get to that place where you have to, be mature enough to ask questions before you just jump into any kind of situation or even getting mad. You know, you have to figure out whether these emotions are um, necessary for this particular situation. And uh, just, you know, just being sober minded throughout, you know, every situation. Hmm. So with that, you know, thinking about books, you know, and I'm I'm sure this is probably something you've thought about too. Um, Is there a book that you would like to turn into a film or that you would like to see turned into a film? All right, I'm going to say it. I hope nobody take it. But <laughs> <laughs> I want to produce um, Men Cry in the Dark by mm. uh, Michael Bazin. That, that, I read that book like a couple of years ago, and I couldn't put it down. And um, I hope once I graduate this May and um, get a couple of things going, that's one of the books I would really like to turn into a film. Okay. Um, what's an object that best represents your personality? Uh, a a pen. A pen. Okay. Yeah, a pen. Okay. <laughs> I can see that. Okay. That will. That, oh, yeah. 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 
You can go. We can go pretty deep with that. Yeah. yeah. So the, the thing is, I'm always writing. I'm always thinking. I would say a pen and a light bulb. Okay. That's like I, I don't stop writing. I don't stop thinking. Okay. And I guess lastly, as we wrap up with the interview, what what would you like to be known for at the end of the day? Using my platform to make a difference, and not just to make money. Money will come. But I want to be able to use my film and digital media platform to make a difference. I'm not saying I'll never make a comedy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every film that I make or every TV show that I make will, uh, you know, will produce, you know, some type of uh, um, Nobel Peace Prize award or something like that. But I would like to, you know, kind of like what Spike Lee has done and, and others um, with their platform, I want to be able to, you know, show where the world is in my films that's what i want to be able to do mm. and be known for okay well listen titus thank you again for sharing what you've shared today and then um giving me a sneak peek at at black and blue um and sharing information yeah. about that in your perspective with the uh, listeners of the podcast thank you yeah thank you for having me of course man more information about titus will be posted along with the podcast uh thank you for listening to the mind forever podcast um if you like this episode which i'm sure you will please like share repost and comment um and also stay tuned for our next exciting episode stay connected on your leadership journey with the mind for rebel podcast by visiting the following the show on instagram at mind for rebel podcast and subscribing to the Mindful Rebel on the iTunes podcast app. Remember, the podcast is for you. So if you have questions about leadership that you want to hear discussed or you're interested in contributing to the show, feel free to share at themindfulrebel.co.